This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash javascriptjabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from Provo, Utah. Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm just going to do a quick shout out about the course I'm putting together about finding a programming job. Um, I get asked about that a lot, so uh, definitely check that out. Um, more information on devchat.tv. We have a special guest this week, and that is Ari Lerner. Hello, hello, hello from sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Nice. Now, do you want to just remind people who you are real quick? We haven't had John for a little while. Yeah, it has been a little while. Uh, sure. I am Ari Lerner. I'm the author of NG Book, Full Stack React, and a couple other books. I also run, co-run a website called newline.co. Newline.co teaches all about the blockchain and Ethereum and smart contracts and a bunch of other things. Wow. I have not heard of that yet. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, it's pretty rad. So uh, I'm curious what, you know, you go from uh, Angular to React to blockchain. Is, yeah. Is, is the framework war all in your head then? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, we also have a book, a machine learning book coming out in two weeks um, that I helped co-author. And we have another book coming out on Elixir. Um in a couple months, and we have another one coming out on React Native in about a month. Nice. So, yes, all the frameworks. All the hotness. <laughs> yep. That's right. So, uh, we, we did bring you on to talk about blockchain. Um, and I know that uh, I've had conversations with AJ about it. I'm still not completely sure I understand it. Do you want to give us kind of the 10,000-foot view on what blockchain is and what people are using it for? Yeah, totally. So the blockchain is, uh, I think, and we happen to believe that it's it's Web 3.0. The reason why we think that is because it's um, the blockchain is a, is a solves a really interesting problem in the computer science world. And that's how do you trust data that comes from untrusted nodes in an untrusted network? Meaning, if you're working if you have a bunch of machines that you don't necessarily know who the owners are and are trying and you want to have them all networked and participating in, in a trusted network, um, the blockchain is a solution is one potential solution to that problem. And so the way that it works is basically you use something um, called a Merkle tree and uh, do you know what a hash is? If I say what a hash is, uh, I feel all of us do, but maybe you should back up and also go into that for people who are just getting started. 
Yeah, uh, totally. So traditional computer science defines a hash differently from you know the data structure that's like an object in JavaScript and a dictionary sure. and a lot of other languages. So um, a yeah, little clarification yeah. there might True. be good too. That's a really good point. Um, so a hash, when I, when I talk about a hash from the blockchain perspective, we're not talking about a data structure. We're talking about um, an algorithm that takes an, any input, any arbitrary sized input, and maps that arbitrary sized amount of data to a fixed size. So when you hear something like MD5 or SHA-256, that's what I'm talking about. So if, gotcha. if, you ever used, if you've ever used Git, you'll know you get these Git hashes. Um, those hashes are actually uh, there. I believe in Git, it's SHA-256 of the data that's contained in your in your directory, and it's a unique it's a unique number that's um uh, well not really a number it's a gigantic number but it's a unique uh, fixed value that refers to the data inside of your directory. So if you change anything inside your directory. You add another file, even if it's an empty file, or you change a single character, that hash or that big arbitrary long piece of data is going to change. So you can, it's uh, so you can kind of trust that 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 number is always going to be mapped to the data that you have. One other unique thing about that hash is that it's one way. It's it's a one way hash, so you can't take you can't take a hash and decrypt it into all the data that's in your directory if we're talking about Git. So you can only go that one way. And so the blockchain, what it does is you have all these things, you have all this data that you want to transmit. Well, wait, one step back. The blockchain is really just all it is when we talk about the blockchain is just an ordered ledger. So it basically has, you start with the, let's say there's 100 coins in the in your Bitcoin network. And it starts with, with a name that says zero, it's like the initial amount of coins, so there's 100. And let's say that Bob wants to send some to Alice, and Bob is the only one who has 100. Then Bob sends 10 Bitcoins to Alice. Now there's only one entry in the blockchain. And there's inside that blockchain, you have a couple different values. The values being what is the hash that we just talked about, what's the hash of the last known um transaction and that last last known transaction for the first one is the only in this example is the only transaction in there so you're only going to have one hash so the blockchain the idea behind the blockchain is that all the computers in the blockchain have have the list of transactions that we just described and you can trust and every single node in the blockchain that's participating can trust that that is a verified list of transactions. That way you can't fake a transaction being passed from one computer to another computer. So from 10,000 foot view, it's the, the blockchain refers to a trusted network. And there's a bunch of different types of, of chains also of blockchains. There's things like Ethereum, which is really cool. Uh, you know, the main Bitcoin network. There's a bunch of others. I, I can't even begin to list them all. Right. So you have this trusted network, which I'm assuming just consists of a whole bunch of nodes that all have the ledger. And then um, how do they use the hash? Right. So so if you take, let's now let's talk about an object from a JavaScript perspective. Inside that object, let's say that you have, you have um, 
You have a name of a person that's sending. So we'll say that Bob is sending to Alice. You have the name of the person that's receiving the, the Bitcoin. That's Alice. Then you have the amount they're sending. And you have things like versions and, and the size of, of that object. And you take that object and then you run it through a SHA-256. So from that object, you get that you get this unique value that says this is the data that's in that object. And so you can trust that the data inside that object is is uh, is the valid amount of data that's in. You have a valid amount of data that's inside that object, and any node can take that hash and can take that object and say, "Yeah, this is true. This is the data that's inside this object is the data that I would that I expect to receive." So that's one side. The other side, when you're talking about um, mining, is that uh, the so the, the blockchain, what you're trying to do, what every miner is trying to do is solve this really hard computer science problem. And that computer science problem is basically trying to trying to compute the next lowest hash. And when I say lowest, I mean the smallest amount of value. So way back when when Bitcoin started, uh, the first half had a single zero in front of it. And that was the lowest, that was the absolute lowest um, hash available. And so every computer that was participating back then, which was maybe like three, was trying to find a hash value that was lower than that, than that hash. So something of lesser value, like if you have 100, like a hash that equals 100, we're trying to find a value that's 99 or less. Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I still don't know if I completely follow, but <laughs> uh, diagrams. How is, the, how is zero yeah. higher than it anyway? I, oh sure. So so when you have a hash, let's say that we're we're talking about like a a six bit string long hash, and mm -hmm. you have zero, a, b, c, d, and e. When you're talking about the uh, value of the hash, zero, um, you can kind of cut off that first zero, so you only have those five characters, A, B, C, D, and E. And so, basically, that is, if we start that as the first hash value, mm -hmm. and because hashes are unguessable, what you... Um, You in order to come up with hash that is instead of zero a b c d and e, if you want to come up with a hash that's zero a b c d and d, you can't you can't just um, hash some some value. You need to have the exact value that that hash because it's one way. Oh right. You can't, you can't just say oh that's going to be a b c d and e or a b c d and d. You have to say well shoot what what value computes to that hash. Gotcha. So the way that you do that in the Bitcoin network and the blockchain is you use this thing called a nonce. And a nonce is, is, you can think of it as a random value. And that is added to the end or the beginning of that hash so that when you hash a string, you hash that original object and say, okay, this object that we were just talking about that contains all this, all this, all these um, pieces of data, and you add this little string called a nonce, then does that all together equal less than zero A, B, C, D, and E? Gotcha. If it does, that's considered a valid block. And when a 
when one machine broadcasts this valid block to the rest of the machines, um, as long as enough of the rest of the machines accept that as a valid hash, then every single machine has to start over and start with a new hash. That's that's and the new hash is the one that's just less than the previous hash. So every single computer will now move on to zero A B C D and D. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah, this is really interesting. So, um, what if two machines get you know get the same uh, or get the same answer relatively close to each other? Well, you're fighting probability. Right. Uh, fighting probability there, the, the chance of that is less than lightning striking the same place three times. However, if it does happen, um, it's the the rate at which other machines will accept the value as the as the accepted value mm. is um, plays is the wild card there. Okay. So this is why you get this is why and there's lots of ways, there's lots of interesting things that hackers have tried. Um, people, people, malicious people who are trying to uh, manipulate the blockchain. The easiest way to manipulate the blockchain is have 51% of all the miners. Then you can accept all. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the big fears in the beginning was that maybe China will have, for example, will have 51% of all the machines participating in Bitcoin. If, that, if that's true, then China can say, oh, you know, we'll just accept everything that one of our machines um, computes and nothing else from another machine in, um, across the world. Okay, so you've already answered like a lot of the um, things that I wanted to go over, like um, how people are making money using hashing. Um, I wanted to make sure like we went through the difference between like a block and the blockchain itself. Um, I have another question, but I'll save it for later. But my question for right now, if we can kind of like, um, kind of change directions just a little bit, can you describe, um, how a transaction works on the blockchain? We, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but can you kind of separate this out and go into it in a little bit more detail? Um, what do you mean when you say transaction? Um, so like you were talking about maybe before we got on the call, like a lot of like a lot of times people, um, when we're thinking about blockchain, they think about Bitcoin or they think about Ethereum, but can you talk about, <clears throat> so, you know, if we're, if we're thinking about currency, how does the blockchain work for exchanging currency? Sure. So, um, that's a, the blockchain and Bitcoin are actually two very, very different topics. Yep. Yep. Um, when we when we talk about Bitcoin, a lot of times we're we're talking about the block, or we're talking about um, or the blockchain, and we don't know it. Or if we're talking about the blockchain, a lot of times we kind of like converge on those two things. So the blockchain itself, when we talk about the blockchain, we're simply just talking about that um, the algorithm, or not really the algorithm, the workflow that I just described, which is like one one block, one node can accept a value from another node. We talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is really the creation of value based on speculation. So, if you if you get a hundred dollar bill from your grandma for your birthday, you can trust that that's probably going to buy you 20, 20 coffees or fifteen coffees if you're buying your coffee from Starbucks. Um, <laughs> and you have that you have this value that you're trusting is going to buy you that is going to be worth that many coffees. When we talk about when we talk about um, 
the value of currency, if you're going to take those, you're going to take that hundred dollar bill and you're going to change that into euros, you're going to get something like 80 euros for that. What are, how many coffees are 80 euros worth? I don't, I don't know without looking it up. Um, so you can kind of think of the same thing with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, is you have a bunch of speculators that are trusting when they purchase Bitcoin that they're going to know how many coffees they're going to get or they're going to know how much that Bitcoin um, is going to be worth when you trade it back to U.S. dollar or the fiat that's in the country of their origin. So we talk, when we talk about value, we're talking about basically the trust between um, uh, between speculation and value. So really like a dollar or a hundred dollar bill is, is just is just a bunch of threads put together in such a way that we, you know, woven and ink painted on these threads. And you just, assume, you just trust that that hundred dollar bill is going to get you 20 coffees for your office. Bitcoin can be seen as the same way. And there's a really great book on this. Um, let me pull it up. I think it's called the history of money. Um, I'll, I'll find it as we're talking, but so, so basically like when you talk about transaction, this is why I asked what you meant when you talk about transaction, basically the, the blockchain itself, um, when one of those transactions is, is completed, the block, the, um, that's, it's basically a block being submitted to the blockchain to say, Hey, Everything inside this block is a part of the is a part of the next transactions that are to be accepted, and that can be one transaction, it can be one like trade of value, or it can be hundreds of trades of value. It's just the the, the data that's contained inside that block is the data that goes into that public ledger. So when you when you talk about can you trade money, when you talk about like a, a transaction, if you're trend if you're uh, trading a hundred dollar bills for a hundred Bitcoin like three years ago or five years ago, um, that transaction would be included in a blockchain. That's why it takes 10 minutes. That's why you can't just use blockchain like it's a credit card because it takes right now approximately 10 minutes to get a transaction to, to go through on the block Bitcoin network. So a couple things I've heard. One is that you can like pay a higher transaction fee to get it transacted quicker. Is that true of the Bitcoin blockchain? So the way that the transaction fees work, so basically um, every, every machine that's participating in the blockchain has to have some reason to participate, right? They're not just burning CPU and paying for energy to, um, to burn through the CPU and GPU. You're, you need some incentive to, to participate in the blockchain. And so transaction fees, what you're talking about, is everyone who wants to compute something in the in the blockchain, or in, let's just talk about Bitcoin, everyone who wants to um, participate in Bitcoin needs some incentive. And so those transaction fees provide that incentive. So the higher transaction fee that you submit, the more incentive machines on the blockchain have to, to, um, to compute to complete your transaction. So if you so, submit a higher transaction fee, if you offer a higher transaction fee, more machines on the network are more likely to take yours, your transaction over somebody else's. So 
another question is, it would seem that the value of Bitcoin should parallel the cost that it creates to mine it. So if it would take me $10,000 worth of GPU capacity on Amazon EC2 <laughs> to get a Bitcoin, it seems that the cost of a Bitcoin should be roughly $10,000. So what's the relationship to the cost of mining and the value that it holds? Sure. That's a really great question. So if we rewind back to talking about the hashes, we go back to our 0, A, B, C, D, and D. There's only one hash that is all that that's lower than all the rest of the hashes, and that's zero 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 zero. So, you're just in this example. So, what that means is there's a diminishing. The more, the further we get along the blockchain, the less, the less likely it is to get a smaller and smaller value of the previous hash. So it's a, you have this diminishing resource. So the reason why three years ago or five years ago it was $10,000 on EC2 is worth more Bitcoin is because you would have, you potentially have more opportunity to mine that Bitcoin. But now because we're so far along, we have until something like, I think it's 2024 is when the estimate of Bitcoin hashes runs out. Um, means that it doesn't matter how much GPU you throw at the problem, you still have approximately the same diminishing chance, percentage chance of mining another Bitcoin. So if you threw $10,000 at EC2 uh, to mine Bitcoin now, it's worth your, uh, your amount of Bitcoin that you're going to get out of that is going to be worth increasingly less um, and the Bitcoin is going to become more increasingly uh, valuable because there are less out there. Well, right. But what I'm saying is, like, if it took $10 to mine the first Bitcoin, then it would take, say, $12 to mine the second and 14 to mine the third and so on and so forth. So, you know, if we know what the next coin is to be mined and like the speculative value, I would imagine, would be the value once all of them have been mined. But the value that we see, like, you know, we see a constant rise in price. I, I mean, like, because why would I buy a Bitcoin for $6,000 if I could mine two for 3000 right? Sure. So that's a, you're, you're playing the betting game there, right? So if you're, the, the bet that you would make if you invest, if you buy, let's say you buy $100 worth of Bitcoin, which is like something like, I don't know, today, like an eighth percent of a Bitcoin. Let's say that you buy um, $100 worth of Bitcoin today, and you're, you're making the assumption that the speculative value of everybody around the world is going to want more Bitcoin in the future. So if you buy $100 worth of Bitcoin now, you're betting against the world that you're going to have, uh, that that is going to be worth more than you paid for it. The same thing can be said for if you're going to mine it. If you can buy $100 worth of of EC2 instances to mine Bitcoin, you're making a bet that you that those machines are going to be faster than the machine, the rest of the machines on the network, and you're going to actually mine your the computers that you purchase are going to be the ones that actually mine the Bitcoin off the network. 
Well, I mean, like, I'm not saying a specific dollar amount. I mean, there's there's a point at which it's not a bet. There's a point at which, like, you spend enough money, you have enough CPU power, you will get the coin. Which is everything that's actually, that's um, not true. Every single C, every single CPU, every single GPU on the network has approximately the same chance of mining the next block. So it's just like if you buy 10,000 lottery tickets and you don't win anything because the person who bought one lottery ticket wins the entire jackpot. So you're making a bet when you buy a lottery ticket that your single ticket or your 10,000 tickets are going to be the one that actually comes up with the jackpot value number or the jackpot value. Does that make sense? So like, because all you're doing when you're in Bitcoin is you're, you're basically just randomly guessing and hashing and running hash, sorry, running a value through a hash function and guessing at the next lowest hash, your doesn't matter how much GPU or CPU um, processing power you have. It just matters that the nonce that you're guessing at is the right nonce. So you could buy 10,000 machines on Amazon EC2 and still not mine a Bitcoin. This is also interesting. I'm, I'm curious. Also, just so I don't forget, the name of that book is called The History of Money from Ancient Times to the Present Day. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. Awesome. What, what I'm curious about, I know we have a limited amount of time, is you said this is going to be Web 3.0. Yes. Why? How? I mean, you, you know, when I think of blockchain, I'm thinking, you know, Bitcoin money kind of thing where, you know, it, it's working like that. But how does this translate to web technology? Sure. That's a really good question. So when you think about the when you think about Bitcoin, we're only talking about value. We're only talking about like, like dollar amounts. But when you think about the blockchain, basically you're you're reinventing what it is to be a computer. So when this is kind of one of the things that Ethereum comes up with, or that Ethereum helps solve. You can imagine if just for a second, the blockchain isn't about transacting money, but it's just about making it's making compute uh, computations. So let's say that you wanted to, um, for instance, change if you had a public company and you want to allow everyone who owns a piece of that company to make a vote or shoot, we'll even go further away from companies. Let's just talk about uh, like um, governance, governance elections. Um, again, I'll, I'll answer your, the web question in just a second, but let, let's say that the United States wants to provide a true and trusted way to, to vote for the president of the United States. One way that you could do that is you can create this public list of everybody who's voted or everybody's votes. And you can trust, provided you're on, if you're on a blockchain, you can trust that all those single, all those votes that were cast for one presidential, um, one, one, uh, presidential candidate versus another one, you can trust that those have not been tampered with. So you have this, you have this, um, non, you, uh, you don't have like a malicious party. There's no malicious party that's trying to invade or change somebody's vote versus another person's vote. You can trust that. So the reason why 
Um, so the blockchain, like, um, before I answer the web part, the blockchain itself is the thing that um, allows us to trust that the that the thing that we're looking at is true. The thing in this case, in this example, being voting for a president. This is why you can use it for money. So why do I think this is going to be Web 3.0? Because you're going. To, the blockchain allows anybody to participate, which means you can have not just computers, not just servers. You can have phones. You can have um, Raspberry Pis. You can have printers participating in this network, which in, which um, basically means you have the entire world scale of computational power at the tips of your fingertips. So when we talk about using the blockchain for doing something at the edge of the network, um, the speed at which data gets to your phone can be near instantaneous versus the speed that that we have now, which is you still have to go over wires, and in some cases you have to go over satellites, and you have to go over over network landlines and um, copper wire telephone lines. So I personally think that having all this computational power at the edge of the network is the thing that makes it so powerful. As a developer, you love building things that are fun and that matter. Do you want to add authentication to yet another app? Do you want to stay updated with all the security issues and patch them? Why not leave it to the experts? Auth0 is the easiest and fastest way to implement real-world authentication and authorization architectures into your apps and APIs. Allow your users to log in with either regular username and password, social identity providers like Facebook and Twitter, enterprise identity providers such as Active Directory, Office 365, etc., or without passwords with an email login like Slack or phone login like WhatsApp. Getting started is easy. Add authentication to your JavaScript front-end, React, Angular, Vue, and others, or Node.js API in less than 10 minutes by writing only a few lines of code. No credit card required. Get the free plan or try the enterprise plan for 21 days at auth0.io slash jsjabber. That's auth0 with the zero. Auth0 is trusted by developers at Atlassian, Mozilla, Bluetooth, Optimizely, Financial Times, and The Wall Street Journal. Try it out at auth0.io slash jsjabber, that's auth0 with the number zero, and get back time building core features. AJ brought up a good point in the chat. He, you know, he said, well, you know, how would you keep anonymity on your vote if it's all public? You know, and similar with, you know, network traffic and all of this stuff, right? I mean, some of the stuff, if I'm sending pictures of my kids to my wife or something like that, you know, maybe I want it public, maybe I don't. But if it's all part of the the ledger of transactions or something like that, then how, how does that work? Sure. So um, everything on the blockchain is public. That's that's the first the the first thing you know. Everything that is is submitted there is a public value. Now you can have if you want your name anonymized. You rather than tying your name inside the blockchain you can tie it to some some cryptographic some cryptographic um, value so that's why they say that's why bitcoin is faceless that's why you don't necessarily have um identity tied to the purchases is because you have this crypto cryptographic value that represents your specific the thing that you specifically own so if we are talking about like publicly voting and you don't want your name publicly voted, 
um, or your name out there for who you voted on, for what you voted on, you take a cryptographic key and you say, this is, this is my key and you're the only one that can prove it. And that's just using basic cryptography. Hmm. But then how could you verify that one person didn't vote 6,000 times by creating 6,000 key pairs? So, um, that is that would be an implementation detail of how you create the voting. So um, one way, one like if you create six thousand wallets, six, those six thousand wallets are going to be tied to um, six thousand different people or one different person. So if you wanted to do, create a voting system, for example, this is this is somewhat of a rough example, but one way you do that is you could create a centralized server where you have to log in with your own cryptographic hash that ties you to some specific piece of data. So your cryptographic hash, the your key, your cipher could be something like your name and your date of birth. And then like with with so again, blockchains, oh. um, well, so one of the things I, I I finally got my Bitcoin off of Coinbase because of the split that was coming up. Somebody that was really into Bitcoin said that I'd be much better off if I transfer my money before any split because then if there's a benefit, then I have control of like buying and selling on my own and I don't have to, you know, wait for whoever's in charge of it, like Coinbase, telling me whether or not they're going to honor the fork and whatnot. But then I quickly realized that when I share my public ID with someone in that very moment, they can see my balance. So if I wanted to use it for a purchase and not just like a stock type of thing, somebody would see my balance. They would see every transaction I've ever had and they'd see every, um, every other person that I've ever transacted with. With work. Yes. It's kind of scary. <laughs> kind of. It takes work to do that though. Like especially so one of the, one of the cool things about Bitcoin itself is that you can create new addresses just for receiving money and just for sending money. So if you create a receiving address, that's totally it's tied. It's a it's you can think about it as like your sending address plus a little nonce, and that or let's talk about receiving address because that's the question that you asked. You can create a receiving address which is like basically your receiving address plus a little nonce. So when somebody submits a transaction to that in, to that wallet, that's tied cryptographically to your, your actual address, but it's a completely different address. So it does take work. It'll take work, kind of a lot of work, to trace every single transaction and your balance out. In addition, when you talk, um, one of the, one of the troubles or one of the one of the drawbacks to using Bitcoin itself is it's hard to get your, your current value because you have to run through every single one of the hashes. You have to run through all the addresses and you have to compute just for the addresses that you know belong to you, um, both your withdrawals and your deposits. So it's not like you can look at the blockchain and say, oh, my balance is 100 Bitcoin right now. It, you have to go through and actually public, uh, compute all the different hashes. And I think right now it's like at 42 gigs of data, which is what the blockchain is, might be a little bit more. So you have to run through all that data to even find out your current Bitcoin value. 
Well, but like blockchain.org keeps the list that's at the top, right? So if I, I mean, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to prove to you that I have any value because you'd have to download 42 gigs to know that I had $10. Yes. So that's why, that's why services like Bitcoin.org or Coinbase work. That's what they do. And that's what, then you have the, um, you have these, um, what are they called? Uh, like that's a lot of what these exchanges do. So I wanted to come back and answer the web, another part of the web question, before we move on, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd love to hear it. So things that you can do on the web, if you have these, if you have these like little pieces of computation that are are being fired on the network, networks like Ethereum will fire off events. So you can listen for these events to get fired off um, in on a web uh, on your um, in your web page, right? So, like, if we think about chat, if you have a blockchain that's specifically chat, it's just your chat history. Every single time that you get a new chat message, every single time that a new chat message is accepted in the, in the blockchain, you can listen for that on your web page, and you can have this public chat that's that's um, verifiable and true. You know that somebody is making is chatting. So you have not only can you can you listen for these events, but you can also submit directly through JavaScript events to be com um, computed in the uh, in the network as well. So you're not just you're not just limited to money. You're also it's you can think about it just like it's like a pub sub. Um, like it's a gigantic global pub sub machine. That's interesting. I could also see it for something like uh, Google Doc. So yeah, totally. So somebody submits a new change to the Google Doc. Totally. One of the things that we're, one of the courses that we're working on right now for newline.co is how do you make a distributed Airbnb? Mm. Um, I believe we're also... One of the ones that we're working on kind of a little passively for further in the future is a distributed task rabbit. So you guys are kind of getting into the, the one more thing that I wanted to talk about, um, which we kind of talked about, but was just to get into maybe more detail. Cause I feel like everybody just automatically thinks of like Ethereum and, and Bitcoin with blockchain, but they don't necessarily think about um, all the other uh, like implementations that you can use that, it can be applied to. So like we're talking about like Airbnb and stuff like that. Do you maybe want to go into maybe some other things where people are using it? Yeah, there's tons. Um, yeah. <laughs> like I've heard, a, like I've heard about it, like really disrupting like the music industry and stuff like that, because people can go to each other instead of going through like a third party. Yeah. So that's a really good, I'm glad you brought that up. There's a ton of different things that people are using for for instance, one of the things that one of the really popular um, uh, blockchain um, quote-unquote disruptors is, is like building a um, a uh, like a distributed um, Uber. Uh, I believe. Yeah, I've heard that too. Yep. Yeah. So you have like <clears throat> you know you don't have you don't have Uber taking any of your any of your money. You have you know simply. Um, the network taking your money. There's also other ones um, like I can't think of the name of the company that is doing it right now off the top of my head. 
but there's one that is that does just super cool. It, does, it ties your identity to the blockchain. So that sounds really scary. <laughs> uh, well, you can think about it. So basically, the way that that this one works, I think this is super cool. But it's me. Um, I think it's super cool where you can um, basically take like uh, a a public key and for any machine that you're trying to sign into, as long as you have that public key on your machine, you have the, uh, you have the ability to, or you, you can log in without a password. So as long as you have that key, every machine that you try to log into, you don't need to remember any passwords anymore. I think it's super neat. There's other ones. I think, I think one is called Gollum. Where it's like that's the global supercomputer. So if you remember, like, like one of the things that I I I, I get really excited about is doing like distributed rendering for something like Maya, which is a three D rendering program. So imagine if you if you're if you're making um, if you're making like the next Pixar movie and you want to render all your all your pixels right now, like either right now you have to spend a whole bunch of money to build a rendering farm or you have to get a super fast computer and you have to spend a bunch of money. But imagine if you could just participate in um, a global supercomputer network, then you can get your rendering done like near instantaneously. That would be totally awesome. Other things like, um, like doing, um, what, what is that? What's that called when you, uh, like you're trying to solve the DNA chain? I took another one of those days where you're trying to like break down um, how DNA is. Um, Just gene mapping? I don't know. The, yeah, thank you. Like the genome, mapping the genome. Like that's another totally, another um, open possibility for having a global supercomputer. Super I told you, like, you know, we're creating, we're working on a distributed Airbnb as an example of things, things that you can do with it. So basically, you're, you're taking the middleman out. You're taking like, the, you don't need a centralized server that can be broken into in hacks. Um, you're taking that per, that that responsibility outside of the outside. You're taking like the computational power that you need a um, centralized server right now, and you're pushing it to a global network. So another thing is like um, like hosting. Imagine if you could just have all your hosted all your web apps hosted in a completely decentralized way. Um, there is a company doing something like that called SIA, S-I-A dot tech, that is doing, that's doing something like that, where you deploy your application into their network, and you get this highly redundant, highly redundant, cryptographically secure uh, application hosted um, completely around the world, which is much closer to the edge should be much closer to the edge than you know, even Amazon EC2. Yeah, that's interesting. So what should JavaScript developers or web developers be doing now to prepare for this world that you're envisioning? <laughs> uh, well, um, if I had all the answers to that, I probably would be doing it. The best thing that I can say right now is go sign up at newline.tech. We have a bunch of, or newline.co, we have a bunch of free videos as well as paid videos for members um, on how to learn how to learn this stuff. Um, if you don't want to do that, definitely check out the free videos at least. We work really hard 
anything anything you best. Um, you can go uh, if you go to Ethereum. I think is probably like the leading edge right now. Um, if you want to learn about uh, the blockchain, um, Ethereum the homepage has fantastic tutorials and fantastic documentation. I highly recommend starting out there. Um, if I can recommend anything other than New Line, um, there's one more. Uh, there's one more chain that I think is really super interesting. Um, that uh, is is being published in the next few months by the guy who created BitTorrent called Chia C H I A dot Tech. But it's um, basically that's uh, it's a different type of blockchain rather than using CPU or GPU power. It's using disk. Now I can't claim to understand it that well. I've only read through the beginning part of the white paper. It's super dense, but I think that's going to be the next kind of big revolution because it no it uses um, proof of storage instead of proof of work, hmm. which is green as opposed to needing to chew through a bunch of power. The other thing that I would recommend. Also, if you're really interested uh, in the answer to Amy's question, you go to coinmarketcap.com. It's coinmarketcap.com. It lists all. It lists a whole bunch of coins. Um, I don't know how many it, it lists, but it lists <laughs> that those are all the different types of coins that people are using um, the blockchain for. It brings me to like a whole another question, but that's for another episode. <laughs> What should you invest in? I, like I said, I wish. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> and it's just like a free-for-all out there almost right now. It is kind of the wild west. And so one of the things that I definitely recommend uh, right now for, um, this is my a secret to you, my friends. Um, definitely rec I recommend getting involved in it earlier rather than later because right now we don't, at least in the U.S., we don't have a ton of regulation on Bitcoin. That's a good point. And if you get the earlier, the sooner you get involved, the less chance you have to to be regulated. No, I didn't. I didn't actually say that on a public program, did I? <laughs> um, it's not necessarily that I'm like suggesting that you avoid regulation. It's more that the earlier you get in, the more likely it is that you'll that you'll succeed. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can speculate about there and we just don't have time to dig into it you know no i told i wish i didn't open that can of worms actually <laughs> no it, it's it's interesting though i mean we're talking about you know yeah getting in now versus later and you know you bring up regulation and will the regulation affect, affect the value of the coin and and, and that goes into a whole nother there's problem. all sorts of things that i can't but, answer yeah that i don't that nobody has answered to yet there yeah but um, but definitely interesting stuff one, uh, if you're looking for like a sample app to build, one of the ones that I think that really helped me understand it was building a, a message board. Um, and you can do that with, there's a package called, um, I believe it's just called Web 3.0, or 3.0, yeah, Web 3.0, um, that, that helped me understand how to build smart contracts on Ethereum and build a public message board so I could do 
So I could write the interaction between JavaScript and web page, my web app and Angular and the Bitcoin network. Awesome. Well, I know that uh, some of us have some time constraints, so we're probably going to wrap it up here. Um, if people want to see what you're working on these days, Ari, where do they go? Uh, newline.co is probably the right answer to that. Um, we're, we're doing a lot of work there. Uh, one of the, one of the um, tutorials that we're releasing is how to build your own Bitcoin pay button. So kind of like the JavaScript pay button for, for Stripe. We're making a tutorial on how to actually, on how to clone that for the blockchain, for the Bitcoin blockchain. And we have a whole bunch of, we have a whole bunch of others up there as well. But that's a good spot to see what I'm working on. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Amy, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure, I can go. Um, so the first one, gosh, I'm sorry about my voice. I keep having to cough and clear it all the time. But the first one, although this is in Python uh, and this is obviously JavaScript Jabber, it's still good. Like a lot of the stuff we've been talking about is very theoret uh, theoretical and, you know, it's hard to kind of. It's, I don't know. For me, at least, it's hard to fully grasp it until I actually see stuff written in code. So this was a really good article, um, just giving like some very simple code blocks uh, on like building your own blockchain. Uh, but it's called Learn Blockchain by Building One. So that is my first pick. And then the second one, uh, I'm back on like more protein bar kicks. So I was at a, uh, a CrossFit competition this past weekend, and uh, they had. Uh, like a bunch of different vendors there selling a bunch of different stuff. And I tried this new protein bar called the Source Bar. And it was amazing. Uh, it's like grass-fed whey protein. I don't know. Uh, I try to stay away from like, I've been trying to stay away from Quest Bars because they have a lot of sugar alcohol and just like a lot of just kind of junk in them. Uh, and these seem to be a lot better. And they taste really good. So uh, that's my health pick for this episode. And that's it for me. Awesome. AJ, what are your picks? So I'm going to pick for sure, spice labels and spice jars, because <laughs> sometimes you have, as a man that lives singly, just like bags of stuff, like chives or whatever, because you're lazy and you still wanted to use them, but you didn't bother like putting it in a jar after you bought it in bulk. But it turns out, not only does it make for a happy wife, it also makes for a happy life to have labeled spice jars. So I'm a link 
those on Amazon and totally recommend that you uh, you get some if you have like if you go to the Asian store and you buy the big cinnamon that's going to last you for the rest of your life and it'll last you two dollars and you get like the other things there at the Asian store too. You know, you know what I'm talking about. If you know what I'm talking about, if you don't know what I'm talking about, watch for your spices. But go ahead, get the jars and the labels, and then go to the Asian store. It's going to be great. Just trust me. Um, number two, uh, I'm going to pick. Well, you know what? I'm going to pick marriage because I got married recently, and this is what I have to say <laughs> about marriage. I view marriage as a lifelong commitment, and knowing that kind of changed. It, it changed the dynamic of the relationship in a good way um, to to be married. We both have that point of view because, it, like, if something comes up, there's not like this. I don't know the the, the fear or the tension or the like. Oh, how is this going to affect me? Like, whatever happens, we kind of have that attitude of, eh, you know, we'll we'll figure it out. We'll. I mean, like, we're committed to each other, and I, I like that. I like that solidity that's never been there in any other form of relationship that I've had. And it just makes me feel good. And I like it. And I think if other people, you know, if you have not embarked on that and you decide to, you might like that if you have that mentality. All right. Well, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Um, now, next week, I am going to New York City, this time without AJ. I'm going to one of the Microsoft things without him. Um, and I am so excited for a lot of this stuff. Um, I'm actually talking to our Microsoft contact right after this call. And... Um, I'll say hi for you, AJ. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I mean, New York City is just a great town. It's, it's a great city. And um, we're releasing these pretty much the week after we record them. So when this comes out, uh, you all can, uh, you can actually see me. I'm going to be um, pulling together a meetup. We're going to meet Friday evening at the Sheraton Tribeca. Um, so anyway, um, I... What was that? It said, be careful down there. I know, right? That's just where the shooting happened. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh. Anyway, um, that's that stuff. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so I'll be at the Sheraton Tribeca um, Friday night. Uh, if you go to devchat.tv slash events, it should show up there, and I should have the, the meetup details. Anyway, we'll just see whoever's in the lobby at, like, 7 o'clock, and then we'll go find some food. So, um if you want to come and you're in the New York City area, then definitely check that out. Um, if you have some recommendations of places to eat or things to see, that would also be cool. Um, I did some sightseeing last time, so some of the big things I've already seen. But anyway, um, I, I'm just looking forward to experiencing it again. And uh, yeah, and then my wife and I have started watching Stranger Things Season 2, and so far it's pretty darn good. So I'm going to pick that as well. Ari, what are your picks? Yes. <laughs> well, uh, in reverse order, um, uh, instead of starting out with something computery or technical, um, I am actually moving to New York City on December 1st. So if you're in the New York City area and you want to hit me up or you want to do some interesting things, uh, let me know. Hit me up. I'm at a user pretty much everywhere on Twitter, and GitHub, Instagram. Just look up a user. That's a u s e r, and you'll probably find me. Um, the uh, other technical thing that I wanted to mention was that um, Amy uh, referenced learn blockchains by building one. It's in Python. I highly recommend 
uh, taking that tutorial and trying to build it in JavaScript. It's a really good tutorial um, in Python, and it's a really good exercise to build in JavaScript if you're a JavaScript developer. Very cool. I'll have to check it out. Cool. Right. Well, do you want to tell us one more time um, the name of your company? Because I just can't remember it. And then oh, sure. My company is Fullstack.io, but our website is newline.co. Newline.co. Yep. All right, folks, uh, definitely go check that out if you want to learn more. And thank you for coming, Ari. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fun. All right, well, we'll wrap this one up, and we will catch you all in a week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.